Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to show number 406 from Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And I'm Jo Moffitt. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. And in my day job, I'm Managing Director and Founder of Woodread. Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques, and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So today's show, uh, as I said, number 406, is we're going to be looking at the five killer tips for agile and engaging organizations. And to help us navigate that topic, I'm very pleased to welcome today's special guest, James Anderson. James is CEO and founder of Employee Engagement and People Analytics Specialist Peachy Mondays, which I think is a great name, I have to say. Uh, So welcome to the show, James. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the invite, Joe, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you um, on our very own Peachy Monday uh, for our radio show. So um, tell us a little bit, if you would, um, about your background. Is, is this an area that you've always been involved in? Just tell us a little bit of your own story, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess while I'm now fully embedded in the, the world of HR and employee listening and people analytics, it has been a little bit of a winding road to get here. Um, from school age, I went off to study electronics and computing at a pretty ridiculous young age, uh, partly due to the Scottish education system, partly because of how my birthday lands in the year, and partly because I fell out with the rector of my school and left a little earlier than planned. Um, <laughs> That's a story for another day, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yeah. I actually graduated at a tender age of uh, 19, which is Good a, a little bit crazy. Um, yeah. uh, but I think actually being so young and kind of being dropped into hot water from a great height uh, probably was quite a formative experience and, and kind of tripped into to the, the entrepreneurial path that, that came later. But at the point that I graduated, actually, it, you know, I, was, I had no views of HR or, or, or people analytics or employee listening or any of those things. Um, I, I was actually focused on a career of music, and I spent the next 15 years or so as a recording engineer, as a professional musician, got to write, record, perform, travel, all of that lovely stuff. Right. Um, however, Sounds good. While I, <laughs> while I still do some of that stuff, it was definitely a kind of lifestyle choice rather than a career, so uh, yeah. uh, when my kids came along, I knew how to maybe step up a little bit as a provider, so this was around 1995, uh-huh. and uh, it was the early days of the web, the internet, I found myself really fascinated by the opportunities that that presented and the intersection of those things presented, and since uh-huh. then I've been a founder in a number of companies that have leveraged web technology, data, information visualization, and applying that um, to improving working lives and and organizational effectiveness. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so where did Peachy Mondays come from? How did that come about? Well, um, I, you mentioned the name at the top of the show. I guess that that's one thing is that is that we definitely our kind of guiding principle is the idea that happy people work better, and mm-hmm. uh, that influences pretty much everything we do. Um, and we reckon if, if the right people are in the right roles and the right things are happening, then they're going to be looking forward to that to that Monday morning experience. It'll be a peachy Monday. Um, yeah. On a slightly less positive note, where it came from, I guess one of the stories that inspired us is a little bit of a horror story from uh, my co-founder, um, Gordon Adams. He was chief exec of a successful recruitment company. Um, mm-hmm. And they had run an anonymous employee engagement survey. It has included a question about bullying, uh, and there were only about 50 people, so everyone knew everyone else, and on the surface, everything was great, but they got mm-hmm. this one really alarming response. Uh, but it was anonymous. He didn't know who this was, and over the coming weeks, he tried everything he could to open up a channel for this individual to, to come forward in confidence, but they, they actually never did. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was only some 18 months later that he eventually found out that they'd lost the succession of really good people due to the very, very poor behavior of a senior manager who subsequently then moved out of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in addition to the sort of human costs for those individuals, uh, they, they sort of totted up the, the, the productivity and financial costs, and they reckon it was well into six figures. Um, and that kind of discussion with him and the, that experience led us to launch the platform with one core innovation at its heart, which is the ability to ask follow-up questions of any group of respondents whilst preserving their anonymity. So you can really, you get a second bite, there's a communication channel, whilst not um, breaching the privacy or anonymity of any individuals. So that, that yeah. kind of kicked off the sort of first big innovation and, the, and was really a pivotal sort of moment in saying, we, we have to do this, we've got a solution for this, we need to get to the market. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, and 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 it it sort of leads on from the the concept of the Sunday blues, which um, are, are supposed to cost our uh, you know, people's weekends are, are cut short by about six hours because they start stressing about what Monday is is looking like on a you know on a Sunday morning. So, uh, totally totally get that, and of course that that toxic culture that can just be. You know, people talk about one bad apple, and yes, there is one bad apple, but it infects the whole crate, doesn't it? And, you know, that whole crate is ruined, and uh, you need to find out where that's coming from um, in order to to stop it. So, yeah, I I, totally understand that story. So, so what would you say? I mean, it's the last... Gosh, 18 months into the pandemic, maybe longer. Um, you obviously work across mm. quite a range of organisations with, with what you do, I'm, I'm guessing. So what, what have you seen? What, yeah. What's been your take on, on the impact of the last um, 18 to 20 months, James? I think, I, think, I think that the immediate impact has varied hugely and probably unfairly um, and very unevenly, depending on what industry organizations are in. So mm-hmm. we work, for example, with organizations in the travel industry, airlines, retail, and where they've just been absolutely decimated by, by the yeah. impact of the pandemic, uh, you yeah. know, putting people on technical unemployment, moving those that are left onto part-time, reduced salary, furlough. I mean, if you look at the airline industry overall, I think it's, it's not expected to recover to pre-pandemic levels for years. You know, it's going to be a long, long tail. 
Mm. Then we also work with organizations like uh, care sector, frontline staff, who again, they, they, they had huge impact, but from a very, very different perspective, because it was all about health and safety and PPE and having to continue to do their job under real big stressful situations. Um, okay. Life sciences company who I can think of who I was a little bit surprised at that you would think well they're going to be straight in there with drugs testing with to be part of the COVID story but actually they, they were badly impacted to begin with because their lab facilities were shut down you couldn't get to them you know it's not work that they could do remotely uh, and then on the flip side communications entertainment streaming services financial services to a large extent either been shielded from the impact or um, the market's expanded. So, uh, yeah. you know, they've actually gone up. But I guess the one common thing against all of them is they've been forced to adapt and transform, I think, at probably unprecedented rates. You know, whether that's flipping from, from having contact centers with thousands of people flip to home working instead of working uh, from the call center itself or launching retail sites in a hurry or, um, you know, events companies. And um, they've just, the whole world has changed, having to move to virtual kind of overnight. Uh, one, one thing I did see actually, when, when we first got out between lockdowns into restaurants, I was quite impressed because the, the little banners that, or, sorry, the, the perspex screens that were between the tables, I noticed mm -hmm. were from a, an events company who had repurposed the sort of pull up banners with perspex. And I thought that, that's, that's a good little pivot. They've, they've been thinking here. Yeah, that's a pretty agile move. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I was, I was actually in the process of writing a, a paper. This, started writing a paper this afternoon about some, some of this actually. And, um, and of course, one of the things that that's come clear to me is that it all happened at once for everybody. Um, mm. 20 months ago, didn't it? You know, it was like within a matter of yeah. days, 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, all at once people had to suddenly apply some kind of agile response to whatever they were doing, for whatever the reasons are that you've just described. And, and, I, and, I, and mm. that all happened at the same time. But of course, for the future, there, is none, there isn't that rigid day, you know, we're under starters orders, August the 31st and we're off or you know we're under starters orders November the 1st and we're off it's it's not going to be like that is it it's going to be a gradual mm. evolution um and and of course a lot of the driver for that agility was needs must wasn't it you know there was absolutely no alternative do you think from what you're seeing that organizations are going to embrace what agility has given them or if they kind of they kind of adapted it in a in a fairly grudging way. Um, I, again, I, I think there's a full kind of uh, range <laughs> of yeah. opinion on that. Um, they, they, some of the organisations um, have definitely been a little bit more reluctant uh, okay. to, for example adopt the, the, the working from home um, and the flexible working and hybrid working that so many organizations are saying they're going to take forward. Some of the mm -hmm. that some organizations have done that very kind of reluctantly and, and couldn't wait to kind of push people back into the office. But, but I also think what you said there about there being a, a sort of no choice and, the, and, and everyone had to react at the same time. I actually think there are 
other um, drivers that are going to force people to to sit up and take notice and 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 do things more urgently than they perhaps think, uh, and it might just come around quite quickly again. Um, Go I don't on, know if you tell me what the what you think. Those, what are those? <laughs> That's interesting to understand more about that, James. Um, well, I, I don't know if you saw the the statistics um, that came out of the states um, a few weeks back. Um, so, so we know we know there's this massive move. We know lots of forward-thinking organisations have moved more towards kind of flexible working. But, but mm-hmm. I think one of the most surprising outputs from that for me was the fact that the quit rate that was reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the U.S. and it was that nearly four million Americans left their jobs in, in one month, so the, the per month rate. And that's not, that's not layoffs, or anything. that's people actively choosing to go and work somewhere else. So I think it's a real heating up of the, the, the age old kind of war for talent and that the mm-hmm. employee retention is actually gonna become more and more important as people yes. start to feel empowered to change jobs because, and I think that's driven by remote work. I don't think, you know, people don't feel they have to commute for three hours across a city or whatever it takes or towards a city in order to be in a workplace. And they're actually looking for for more of a balance. They want to move maybe away from the city depending on their family situation and and things like that as well. So I think a lot of people have been enabled and empowered by that taste of flexible working. And I think that's what the key driver is behind, um, you know, such a high quit rate. When, When... you would think people yeah. would be looking at it the other way and going, "Well, oh, thank God I'm still in a job," you know. But but actually, yeah. I think I think that competition and the fact that if people start to worry about retention and losing good employees because they've not been flexible enough or they've not learned enough from the lessons of the last 18, 20 months, I, th- I think that's mm. going to have a big knock-on effect. That's really interesting that you should talk about that. We had um, on we had a, a bit of a milestone show, um, show number four hundred. Um, six weeks ago and we had Josh Bursin come on um, and talk to him oh, yeah. and actually he, he talked about that quit rate I think it was relatively um, relatively recent um, at that point but yeah record levels wasn't it it's never been that high before I believe yeah I, I, absolutely it's something like 24% higher than pre-pandemic yeah yeah so so your point is that organizations there is actually and i hate to use the term because it's a real consultant's term but there's a real burning platform to do something different i i i think there is and i also think that you know we, we, we're obviously headlining this chat around agility but i mean some of our customers really were on the front foot and and made some big decisions really quite early on in the pandemic, so I'm thinking of a, a care organization in particular with some sort of 4,000 people, and they decided, I think within two or three months of the first lockdown in the UK, that they were going to downsize their real estate footprint and they were going to repurpose and they were definitely, you know, committing 100% to hybrid working at that point. Now, that's not to say that everything is good about not going into the office, so they were very conscious of repurposing the use of that, of their office space, you know, where people had a, a need to be face-to-face from a, either a personal well-being perspective because they maybe live alone or they needed the space or whatever, or from a collaborative point of view. Because I know that's one of the things that has, has kind of gone south is the, uh, the sort of 
water cooler chats and the and the you know the sort of impromptu collaboration and, and inspiration that can sometimes come from those sorts of chats. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, some some people have been very front, very much on the front foot. So 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 let's let's move this into into talk about agility in a bit more detail. I mean, this is going to be one an approach that that we've seen adopted to a greater or lesser extent, as you as you've as you've said. Um, but it's going to be a key tool in an organisation's armoury to um, adjust, adapt and adjust to what's coming down the track, and there's an urgency to that. So. How does how does an organisation build agility? Can you share some of your thoughts around that for us? Yeah, thinking about the word agile, there's a kind of business level common sense interpretation, you know, as so being able to react as an organisation to unforeseen circumstances. And then mm-hmm. there's agile, as has been talked about, well, originally, I think, from, from the IT and software development world in terms of a methodology, yes. which has now been rolled out across organisations as a whole, but I think whether mm-hmm. you've gone to the formal agile methodology rollout or whether you're just thinking about how can organizations um, be more agile, um, maybe one's got a big A, one's got a small A, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but it, I think they both boil down to, to, to some fundamental things. So one is being customer centric, always thinking about the customer and having kind mm-hmm. of guiding principles to be able to, to, to do that so that decision-making is, is easier, but also mm-hmm. devolving decision-making so that decisions are made more quickly and um, that people are empowered to make decisions at a more local level without sort of huge hierarchical things that we used to have historically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just started reading a book called Loose by Martin Thomas. Are you familiar with that one? No. What was it called again? Loose. Um, so it's, it, 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 he basically pr- proposes that the future of business is letting go. And it has a lot of parallels, whether you're into the formal agile or the informal agile. Uh, Interesting. But, but okay. I read a, a great story um, from that book where he was talking about the sort of contrast between that sort of corporate tendency, historic especially, to, to, be, to have all the data and the processes, the procedures that actually paralyzes decision making. And it was it was um, about Ross Perot, who had a, apparently a long and uh, drawn out dispute with the senior management team at General Motors. Mm-hmm. And and they quote, quoted Ross Perot, uh, which I've written down here. It says, um, I, "I come from an environment where if you see a snake, you kill it. At General Motors, if you see a snake, the first thing you do is go hire a consultant on snakes. Then you get <laughs> a committee on snakes. Then you discuss it for a couple of years, and then the most likely course of action is nothing." You figure the snake hasn't bitten anybody yet, so you let it crawl around on the factory floor. We need to build an environment where the first guy who sees the snake kills it. Now, I'm certainly not advocating killing snakes. I like snakes. But, but the principle there of enabling people and giving them the guidance and the, 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 kind of, the, the frame of reference to be able and empowering them to make decisions locally without burdening the center of the organization, I think, is a huge part of organizations becoming more agile. Yes, um, yes. I love that story. It's great. <laughs> the, the, in terms of the sort of um, the main enabler of that, I would say, starts with, okay, so if you're not going to drown in procedures and processes and um, rule books, how are you going to give people the framework for making the right decision? 
And I think mm. the number one thing for that is having a well-communicated, central, uh, unified purpose. So people really understand right. it. Something really short and pithy and clear uh, that they can use as a point of reference for making the right decisions. Mm. Um, mm. And I hate, I hate to use two, two stories from the same book, but as I said, I am just reading it just now, and I, I'm really interested in, in, um, in, in what's to be said there. But he also talks about a, a story from um, a retailer in the States called uh, Nordstrom. Uh-huh. And he said it, they operated their business with an employee handbook that consisted of one small card that was handed to each employee. Um, and again, I've got a, a little copy printed out because I love this. And it, on the front of the card, it says, Welcome to Nordstrom. We're glad to have you with our company. Our number one goal is to provide outstanding customer services. Set both your personal and professional goals high and have great confidence in your ability to achieve them. Our employee handbook is very simple. We only have one rule. And then you turn over the card on the back, it says, the only one rule, use good judgment in all situations. And then the only supplementary advice that was provided was, was please feel free to ask your department manager, store manager, divisional general manager, any question at any time. So it was a total, almost like a blank check to, of trust yes. for yes. people to, to, to behave. But the amount of things that that kind of swept out of the way, and of course you can't sweep all rules out of the way. You need compliance, checks, data protection, and you need all these good things. But in terms of just a frame of reference for making the right decision, I thought that was a, a, a great little story. Yes, indeed, absolutely. The, the, yeah, the bonfire of the processes empower people to make <laughs> judgments and decisions within a, within those parameters, and they'll yeah. generally be trust them to do the right thing, and generally they will. Uh, absolutely. In terms yeah. of just a, a whistle stop through, so, so, so I think I talked about five, or you mentioned five in the intro. So having a unified purpose is, is key. Um, seeking out customer insights at every turn, so being customer-centric. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think Josh Burson has a version of this quote, but the, the one I know is from Richard Branson that says, if you look after your staff, they'll look after your customers. Um, yes. you know, so just, just, just make sure you're empowering your people and, and getting to, the, them to be customer-facing. Make sure you get feedback from the customer-facing people to the rest mm-hmm. of the team. That empowerment and trust piece is, is just, I think it's, Phenomenal and, and so important. Crucial. Hire, the, yeah. hire great people. Trust them to get on with it. Measure by outcomes rather than by you know nitty gritty processes and, and compliance checklists or what have you. Try and measure yeah. the, the outcomes instead. And, and of, course, of course, measure, yeah, sorry, course, sorry to interrupt you. Of course, measuring outcomes is is absolutely has come to the fore, hasn't it, in the last sort of twenty months because. You know, I, I can only manage people I can see. Um, I have to manage you by seeing you. Well, no, actually, it's a it's a fundamental shift away from that kind of command and control to trusting yeah. people and trusting people to deliver and measuring on outputs rather than inputs of how many hours a day they're at their, at their uh, desk. I, I, absolutely, and it's so much more efficient as well, as yeah. well as actually being better for the people who who, who are in the roles. You know, um, yeah. And that's where I was saying earlier about the people who've maybe reluctantly allowed people to work from home but still don't really, haven't really culturally got over the hurdle of, of, of trust. And mm. I think they, they are going to then suffer from the, the retention issues that I talked about earlier, where people now feel a bit more free to, to change roles and to look for other yes. things. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I interrupted you. Sorry, I think you were up to about number four, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think four, fourth really... Uh, and. And again, this is all stuff that we've 
picked up from our clients who've, who've, who've been most successful, been most agile, adopted new ways of working most quickly, is to, is to really be open to letting people fail as well, to experiment, mm -hmm. fail fast, <laughs> and, and react fast, and make sure you learn from it, of course. Learning, think, learn from that, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But encourage people to, you know, encourage innovation, encourage people to try things. If it doesn't work, kill it quickly and just move on. Um, mm. but learn from your successes and your failures. And then I think the, the last one, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned Josh Burson, because um, it, it's about adopting the right technology. And I know he, he did a presentation um, about the impact of the pandemic. And one of the things he talked about in the, in the sort of world of HR tech was um, instead of kind of buying point solutions, the best thing that does one part of a, a process or the best, you know, so in our world, we're all about employee listening, employee feedback. So rather than mm -hmm. looking for just a tool that does onboarding feedback, a different tool that does exits and a different tool that does engagement, a different tool that you use for getting feedback around diversity, etc. Look for a, a single platform where that's a, that has the flexibility to work with you to do whatever it is you need to do. So I, I think that smart buying of the right yeah. technology is really important and, yeah. and, and making sure that you're enabled, you know, if people need to work from home better and, 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 and hybrid working, get the right tools in place to support them and maybe some tools in place that facilitate those water cooler conversations that they otherwise are, are missing out on. But, um, yeah. yeah, the right tech. I think that's, yeah, that's really absolutely right. I'd, I'd second that entirely. And, and what's quite interesting, of course, is that, that as well as doing some other things, that right technology can also leverage those first four things you've talked about. You know, it can be used uh, to help uh, you amplify your purpose. It can be used to help you come uh, up with absolutely. innovation and creativity to put your customer at the heart. You can use it oh. to empower and trust your, you know, all of the things that you uh, Absolutely. Not, not, not technology for technology's sake. It's Correct. Absolutely to enable yeah. other things, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the glue that ties all these things together as well, isn't it, really? So, yeah. listen, we've just got one minute left, James. So, okay. um, one final takeaway of this um what's the most important um my my own view is it, it, the first one i mentioned so you know i think agile orgs are the ones that have come out stronger from the pandemic i believe uh, and, I, and i think the same is true of previous crises and financial crises and things like that they're more resilient quicker to adapt and the heart of it is enabling that that decentralized decision making so that instead of the old command control as you mentioned mm -hmm. but in order to do that you've got to give them the frame of reference to make those decisions, and it hasn't, it can't be like ten thousand pages. So ensure you have a clearly communicated purpose, which gives all staff a frame of reference for the right decisions to be made. And and I'm going to look up this book called Loose, and it was by Martin Thomas. Did you say? That, that that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, Martin, lovely. I'm sure we'll definitely look that up. Thank you. I enjoyed those stories. It's been great talking to you. Um, thank you very much to today's special guest, James Anderson, CEO and founder of Peachy Mondays. Thank you for listening to Engage with Success Radio. We'll see you at the same time next week. And don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. So thank you and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.